Hey, Napoleon, what'd you do all last summer again? I told you, I spent it with my uncle in Alaska, hunting wolverines. Did you shoot any? Yes, like 50 of them. They kept trying to attack my cousins. What the heck would you do in a situation like that? What kind of gun did you use? A freaking 12-gauge. What do you think? Welcome to Glop Culture. GLOP Culture, the Ricochet podcast about politics and pop culture and all kinds of nonsense. This is John Podhoritz. With me, as always, is Rob Long from his airy and lovely Los Angeles, California. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. It's not really much of an airy, but I, but I, I, accept, I accept that. I'll just and, – yeah. And with the best location in podcast history from a driveway in Fairbanks, Alaska – Jonah Goldberg. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. Wait, so Jonah, you're in a driveway because um, I don't know why. I, that, I, that was a, I'm in a driveway because uh, there's a house full of people. Some of them are still asleep. I see. And uh, and I can get a Wi-Fi signal out in the driveway as long as I sidle the car up to the side of the house. Is it? Do you have a car running? Is it cold? Um, it's it's it's. Very pleasant this morning, but Alaska's in the middle of a just unbelievable heat wave. And because of the weird combination of rain and weather and um, the cycle of the last couple of years, an unbelievable mosquito outbreak. <laughs> and so, I mean, like, normally the summer up in Fairbanks is beautiful. And we're going to go out to the lake later today, and it's great out there. But, like, summer is the – Alaska is the place to be. I mean, it's really great. But this mosquito outbreak – is just unreal. Every single big box store, Walmart, Fred Meyer, Safeway, all those places, completely sold out of not just uh, bug spray, but of fans. Because no one has air conditioning up here. You never need air conditioning. Um, it's sold out of fans and also like topical Benadryl for people who were covered in mosquito bites trying to treat it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's wild. It's like the beginning well, of The know, Walking Dead. You know, for, yeah, The Walking Dead. You, perhaps you uh, you haven't seen World War Z yet, but uh, there is an intimation in World War Z that that uh, that the uh, zombie uh, virus seem possibly is the result of a meningitis outbreak, which uh, which it might itself uh, or malaria outbreak, which might itself be you know caused by mosquitoes. So watch out there, Jonah, because I you know don't want you to become a zombie. Well, I, or if you do, I don't want you to come back. I don't want well, to stand. You certainly I don't shouldn't to come stand. back. Just, yeah. just eat your way through British Columbia yeah. and stay north north of the border. <laughs> if that would be, that would be okay with you. Satisfy yourself on a diet of red flannel. And, and speaking speaking of Americans who are not uh, present uh, in the United States, although of course Jonah is in, it's not in the continental United States, but is in a state yeah. of the United States. Uh, we we have the uh, hilarious. Uh, goings on uh, the travel itinerary of Mr. Edward Snowden, uh, <laughs> former NSA and Booz Allen Hamilton uh, employee who took it upon himself to reveal uh, among the most classified uh, data and, and subject matter known uh, to the U.S. government a couple of weeks ago and then decided to hightail it out of town uh, on, the, uh, on the dime of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks going first to Hong Kong and then to Russia 
and as a result of the uh, both uh, our tilt toward Asia and the Russian reset, uh, Barack Obama has had the finger given to him both by the Chinese government and uh, uh, this morning as we are speaking uh, on Tuesday the 25th right, right. Um, from Vladimir Putin, his, uh, his, his great buddy and good friend who uh, previously gave him the finger on trying to do something to stop the, car- uh, the carnage in Syria and to do something about the Iranian nuclear bomb. So that relationship, the Obama-Putin relationship, is really something special and it's something about which all Americans, I think, can be proud. Uh, well, they similarly, respect us now. They, not only do they respect us, but I think, I think the, the pacific nature of the, uh, of the Obama administration, its decision to apologize for uh, America's uh, uh, faulty actions, uh, not only in the previous mm-hmm. eight years, but in the previous 200 years, uh, has really led to an enhanced respect for the United States, a sense of the United States' uh, uh, good qualities and real cooperation, I think, globally. <laughs> well, well uh, I, can I ask I, – I really don't know this. And I'm, also, I'm hearing myself, so somebody's got something turned up. Maybe you do, John Luddite. Um, what exactly is the nature of the, of the classified leak – I mean, what's the what's in the briefcase or the case of the four laptops he's carrying? Because it it doesn't seem necessary for him to have to travel to the countries to show it to them. I mean, they they, they can you know the, the, I'm sure he's got Dropbox. He could he could put everything up there if he wanted. Well, uh, the nature of the leak, uh, the nature of the leaks are that he handed a ma- massive amounts of uh, data and information to. Uh, the radical uh, leftist uh, journalist Glenn Greenwald and a documentary filmmaker named Laura Poitras, all having mm-hmm. to do with uh, systematic efforts by the uh, National Security Agency to right. examine not, not, patterns of phone traffic. None of which is really a surprise. Communications. Right. Well, apparently, and, it's enough of a surprise that you know the right and the left are all acting as though the world <laughs> has come to an end. I mean, I've seen the movie. And that, uh, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just trying to try to f- understand also what the tour is all about because uh, it, presumably the Chinese already know all that information. They've already seen those laptops. They've already scanned them. I'm sure they have. I mean, what, is he just selling them to another territory by going to? I mean, he, apparently well, I mean, he's in Russia right know, now. We don't know the contour. We don't know all the details of this story. And you know the 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 notion that 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 uh, that Mr. Snowden has done this entirely on his own dime as a matter of you know, personal uh, you know, outrage at the behavior of the U.S. government and an effort to expose it uh, for the purposes of, uh, of, of expanding the contours of American freedom. All of that is all well and good. The simple fact of the matter is this is a gigantic intelligence compromise, one of the biggest in, in the history of the planet Earth. And it is by no means clear that he was acting alone on his own, that he didn't have sponsors, that he didn't have sponsorship, that this wasn't a long-term process. We don't know. And I think from the behavior of the Obama administration and the sorts of things that were being said over the last couple of days and the eagerness with which it wishes to to seize him and uh, and, uh, arrest him and uh, question him, that they have reason to believe that this is not simply a one-off, one-guy, lone whistleblower 
just acting on his, the behest of there's uh, a mole civil of, liberties. Of, of WikiLeakers somewhere in the NSA. I mean, well, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, my understanding from talking to a couple people about this is that um, the nature of the stuff he took, and it's not just the patterns of you know, it's not just the metadata stuff. I think they've spilled those beans already. You know, remember they 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 dumped this stuff right before the G8 summit about Britain spying on fellow members of the G8 and um, the timing of this under Z. I mean, there, there's, there's the sense that some of this is just done to embarrass America and is not necessarily done to expose this domestic, this alleged domestic abuse. Moreover, there are people at least told me, and I don't know if this is true, but there are people I know who have access to better information on this stuff than, than I do. And, um, they say that some of the stuff this guy stole is not stuff that he would have direct access to. And so the question is, did he hack? You know, maybe it's much easier to hack NSA computers once you're already inside the NSA. You know, if you can get past that big honeycomb of lasers and the shark pit and all of that, maybe the computers are easier to hack. And um, if not, then he had to have had help from somebody within NSA or somebody within the national security complex to help him get some of the information that he got, because it's not just from one program or just the stuff that was under his umbrella. Maybe well, all that's I think wrong. it's even more, there's even more detail to support that, that line because he told the uh, Snowden told the South China morning post, uh, the day before yesterday that he specifically decided to go to work at Booz Allen Hamilton to procure this information and hand it off. The question then being, how did he know to go to Booz Allen Hamilton in order to get it? And how did he get the access at Booz Allen Hamilton to secure it and then hand it off? And that's, these are the questions that we, that we simply don't know the answer to. Um, what we do have every reason to believe is that this is, uh, an almost um, unprecedented security breach. And it raises all sorts of interesting questions, not only the questions about civil liberties, there's too much, too much data being collected. Is that data, you know, is, is it, are we getting into a position where the government, even if it is not yet um, listening in on your phone calls, will have all of the modalities in order to listen in on anybody's phone calls and to make any case against anybody that it wants to. Or, which is one big question, I think it's silly because I don't know why the, there are 325 million people in the United States and the government doesn't want to listen in on their phone calls. It wants to see if it can track terrorism. Um, but the other, I think the other real question is, has the national security apparatus and the homeland security apparatus grown so large that it cannot be properly secured? And have we gotten now into a position where we are able to collect data, we are able to do all of this, but there are too many people with too much access, yeah. the possibilities of its misuse are far too yeah, but that's um, likely. But, but there's no way around that. I mean, there it really is no way around that. Uh, once, once uh, uh, tele- telephony and data is is digitized and searchable and then compressible and and, and storage and store width is really a matter of you know uh, a couple of shoeboxes with terabit drives. 
There's absolutely no way not to do it. I mean, Twitter's been hacked, Facebook's been hacked, PayPal's been hacked. All the large, I mean, this credit card companies been hacked. We've already seen that. All those things have already already happened. Large databases exist to be hacked and to be searched, including the NSA. Our problem was that we had this little misguided faith in. I mean, the NSA cultivated this <laughs> this bizarre ID for years. It's like we are the really secret organization. You'll never know what we're doing. And it was uh, the NSA was considered. Oh, you think you're scared of the CIA? No, really, it's the NSA. And the truth is they were just a bunch of incompetent federal bureaucrats, like all federal bureaucrats, all of them, like the IRS and the EPA. They're all incompetent, and they are, they are incompetent in direct proportion to how large the database is that they're manipulating. These people – the idea that they're going to keep us safe by listening in on phone calls, good luck. The fact – what they didn't understand, the massive amount of data that you collect only makes it harder. It's like drinking from the fire hose, they say. I mean, <laughs> but, but but we should not kid ourselves, all of us. The idea that, that the, the biggest havoc is going to be wreaked re- 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 or is it wreaked re- by Edward Snowden is just not even true. It's going to be wreaked by somebody who's in our ATM getting our money. That, that, that's where we're going to have to – what we need is a, 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 a vibrant industry, which we almost have, in security, individual security. That's what we need. That's, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be uh, you know, sort of bad news for the NSA because they're not going to have the keys to that. What, what I think is sort of fun thinking about all this, um, first of all, I think John's right about the global strategic stuff. I think we can celebrate Barack Obama as for rejecting the false choice <laughs> yeah. behind the question of is it better to be loved or feared? Because he, <laughs> President Obama has gotten America to the place where it's neither. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, it's right. It's, to, it's despised. Machiavelli never, never saw that as an option somehow. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that in, it's was, in that the, wasn't on the list. It's in that, what is it, that, that Stephen Covey's quadrant. It's the lower, <laughs> the lower right. You know, look, I mean, but it's, it's interesting. He's really embraced it. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting choice. We'll see how it plays out. Um, we're, we're, we're sort of becoming the Liechtenstein of geopolitics. <laughs> um, but, you know, I wrote a column a few years ago uh, after Julian Assange did all the damage that he had done or whatever was in the news. And I asked this question. I just said, you know, why hasn't the CIA killed Julian Assange yet? And I didn't mean it like, oh, I hope they kill him. You know, um, which is how a lot of left wingers took it, and I got, you know, flamed for weeks about it. But I meant it as sort of like if you take remotely seriously what the left, what Hollywood, what any of these people have said about our national right. security complex for years, you know, we shouldn't have ever heard of Snowden. I mean, there should have been a couple guys in ninja pajama slippers yeah, right. sneaking into his hotel in Hong Kong and garroting him a long time ago. Yeah, you and, remember, and always, you there's remember always the a senator. Movie? And there's always a senator on the on the on the on the, on the Senate, you know, intelligence committee who's part of it. For some reason, the senator knows and has this right. played by and Ned Beatty and has a helicopter. And for some reason, senators always have this flagrantly unconstitutional ability to order around. <laughs> yeah, right. right. This Snowden problem's that, uh, got to go that, away. Yeah. You know that George Clooney movie, Michael Clayton. Yeah. In yeah. which. Which I, which I liked very much, but which features a law firm hiring two hitmen to kill one of its own lawyers so right. that he doesn't uh, blow the whistle. And, you know, incredibly, he walks in his door, some guy puts a, gives him a shot, some guy garrets his neck, there's no noise, they, they, they take the body and they hack it into 15 pieces, and it's, and it's all done. It's like, well, you know, if the... If the government could only behave that efficiently, 
one would have more confidence in its uh, in its abilities to protect us. But the reality is, but it doesn't. But my point is that no one does. Nothing does. Right. It's this weird fantasy of efficiency in general. I mean, the the idea that two hitmen could do that without like any for any reason working for anybody. No, you have witnesses, and there's so much blood. The human, <laughs> there's so much blood everywhere, and then you slip and you fall in it, and then it's everywhere, and there's no way to get it all out. And, and then you have the bodies; it's really heavy. <laughs> yeah, the body's super heavy, and you got to get it in the trunk. And some old lady sees you, and she doesn't know you're in the mom, so she tells the cop. It's it's the, it's, the, it, it's just really hard to do. <laughs> so, um, you know, somebody's put some thought into it for a variety of reasons. It's really hard to do, and so the, I, I just. I, that's why I find so stunning about what's happening now is that, 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 that it's the wrong – again, the wrong conclusion. The conclusion isn't that, that the NSA is uniquely incompetent. It's that it's incompetent exactly in parallel, exactly the way everything is incompetent and we should not expect anything different. But this is the – you know, this is a very interesting this, – this creates a very interesting political moment because uh, the – obviously this entire – uh, line of argument and thought and the panic and horror and terror that seems to have been released by Snowden's revelations um, is a real boon to the libertarian understanding of government, that government, you know, is dangerous, that government is too, that government sizes itself, you know, uh, a crisis, mm-hmm. um, that government is malign, that it has malign intentions. Um, and at the same time, uh, it seems to militate against uh, Rob's argument. Seems to militate against the libertarian notion because it, it is not that government is maligned; it is that it is incompetent, and its incompetence is what is causing these massive problems. Not its uh, efforts to, you know, successful efforts to control the lives of people. Um, one might one might uh, accept the possibility uh, that government. Could run healthcare uh, effectively if one had any had the slightest uh, confidence now that the NSA could keep a secret. But you the know, two, the yeah. two are the two are intimately yeah. connected. But the one thing you don't see anywhere, any, anywhere in the country, I don't think, except maybe in, in you know in, in the in, in in journalistic circles where people pay to think and talk, is any real outrage. About this, I don't think you really see it. Maybe, maybe there is some. I, I have, I've seen no evidence of that. I've seen evidence that people that Barack Obama's popularity's gone down, his his job approval's gone down, and people think he's more incompetent, and that is definitely true. But I don't. I mean, we, we are fast becoming a culture that broadcasts everything about itself anyway. Like <laughs> what people share on Facebook. Which is fast approaching what a billion users. What people share on Twitter. What uh, the culture itself is all about sharing. I mean, the idea that there's this like private zone people live in. It's not. I mean, I don't think people. Yeah, it's it's eroded anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, look, I'm, uh, a couple things. One on the Facebook thing. It is possible that we are in the middle of just a fad with all of the sharing stuff. You know, I mean, there is this tendency to extend in a straight line off into the future. The status quo. Ten years ago, people were writing about how blogging was the you know the new permanent form of journalism, and now every day a new blog shuts down because people don't blog anymore. And on sitcoms, people make the joke, you know, oh, you should check out my blog because it's like such an incredibly nerdy thing to say. You know, um, it's entirely possible that 
for some reason or another that we cannot predict, Facebook implodes because it's just it's it's a cultural you know artifact the same way music videos were for our generation. Um, but you know, on the, on the malign versus you know incompetent point, I, I understand the point John's making. I agree with it to a certain extent, but it is from from the from the true libertarian point, and I'm not a true libertarian. I'm I'm you know I. I flirt with it on weekends when I want to feel saucy. Um, but uh, the, the malign and the incompetent can overlap, right? You have, yes. Yeah, that, that's a, you, the, it's called an African dictatorship. Well, no, I, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I, I'm not even just talking about the federal level. But, you know, but, you know, I'm sure there are a gazillion stories about the IRS and the EPA where people's businesses and lives were ruined because some incompetent bureaucrat didn't file his TPS report. But... Um, you know, at the local level, I've started following just a little bit, you know, the, 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 the epidemic, at least this is the way the libertarians make it sound, of these no-knock warrants and the drug war stuff. And I'm not an anti, you know, I'm not a drug legalization guy. Um, but when the government sends in these SWAT teams to the wrong address and kills some guy for jumping out of his bed and grabbing his gun when he hears his door right. being broken in, that's incompetence, but it's also pretty malign. And I, I think that if you start looking around and you can see that when the, when you consider the government has the monopoly on violence, it has the IRS, it has a lot of these, you know, these things of power, um, when it, it's incompetence can seem indistinguishable from, to its victims from something more tyrannical. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there is an interesting, this, uh, puzzlement on the part of, 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 uh, leftist civil libertarians, uh, over the last couple of months at the notion that, uh, Barack Obama and Eric Holder might misuse the powers of the Justice Department <laughs> right. yeah. is interesting because these are people who believe in the untrammeled use of government. And so there are all these tools and devices and agencies at their disposal, and they have no philosophical break uh, built into their uh, ideological worldview that says maybe you shouldn't use it just because you have it or you can Whereas, ironically, such an ideological break exists on the right in part because of libertarianism, in part because of the general belief in, in small government that, you know, even during the worst supposed excesses of the Bush administration, um, you know, the notion of deploying the IRS as apparently the Obama administration has would never have occurred to anybody or if it had um, – you know, the, this is the party of uh, lower taxes, not, right. you know, disempowering the IRS, not empowering it. So part of the problem is you, you put people who believe in government in charge of government and you have very little in the way of checks on their ability to do that uh, over the first two years, certainly, of the, of the Obama presidency because he had control of both houses of Congress. And there is a very – and a press and a compliant press that is not looking into abuses – and believes that if it does so, it will be serving the political interests of the party that it dislikes. And you have a perfect storm formula for um, overweening and overbearing and overused government. Yeah, no, it's funny. I keep thinking about the, um, you, know, how, you know, feminists are constantly using the phrase uh, how, you know, Republicans want the government to control women's health care. And, you know, when, when our women's health and whenever... Feminists talk about women's health. They just mean abortion rights. But, um, you know, this is the same party that is enthusi so enthusiastic, enthusiastic about Obamacare. 
and it's so fascinating the 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 sort of cognitive dissonance that says it's outrageous for government to control quote unquote women's health, but it's absolutely fine for them to like decide whether or not I can have a knee transplant or you know how much my hip replacement is going to be. Um, <laughs> right. it's, it's very strange. But you know, I, I just think in in general one one through line you can see with. Snowden and this, uh, the hijinks with China and, and Russia, um, the continuing dithering over Syria, uh, uh, many, many aspects of the Obama agenda worldwide. Uh, and you see a second term now, six months into the second term, that, that bids fair, even, even absent a particularly personal scandal that directly goes at the president, which certainly hasn't happened yet, you see the prospect of a, of a second term worse than any second term, maybe with the exception of, of Clinton and you know, the, the year of impeachment, than we will ever have seen. I mean, he's got three and a half more years to go. He's got air is leaking out of his balloon like nobody's business. And <laughs> there's no one there to patch it up and float it up again. Well, well, you know, well, uh, wasn't it just a shot approach, though? I mean, isn't his point now that, you, you, you know, once – I mean, you, you can you kind of like – you can see the desperation just by looking at what's next, what, what the next speech is. Like suddenly he's going to give a speech on, on, uh, on the environment and global warming. I mean he's going to pick – you know, he's going to play all the little the tattered little cards he's got in his hand for the next year, right? Just trying to change the subject frantically from – from uh, uh, what, the Washington scandals, the economy, unemployment, all the things he doesn't want to talk about. Yeah. And, I mean, can't he tread and, water for a little while? I mean, we have a very, com- very complicit, very lickspittle press. They're really not going to write the uh, end of the Obama administration. They're not going to write that. They're going to – if there is any talk of like some kind of collapse, it's always going to be at the hands of evil Republicans. Um, yeah, but he's such a, he's in, I mean, I, look, he'll definitely have better days again, you know, I mean, whether they're ever as good as they were, you know, at some point in the past, is probably not, but he'll, you know, things that won't always be relentlessly bleak for three and a half years. But I think John's <laughs> right that, that he's going to have a very rough couple, you know, years now in part because like, first of all, remember he began with this, this sort of fanciful notion that he was, that the Democrats were going to take back Congress. And that he was going to have his final two years to just sort of run the table on all this progressive right, stuff. Right. No one thinks that's going to happen now. And, um, and moreover, all of these scandals, you know, the problem with them is they, they put them crosswise with his base, right? I mean, his base is this weird coalition of, 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 of independent voters who aren't really independents, but they like to think they're independents. Um, of young voters, of, of minorities, um, and of the, the sort of the, the sort of vigilant left. Right. And, and, you know, the IRS scandal combined with, you know, less so Benghazi, but with Syria. And, and some of these things aren't scandals. They're just controversies. And the DOJ stuff, um, I think it's sort of fascinating how Obama has not, maybe I missed it because I've been traveling, I'm in Alaska and all that, but um, Obama does not want to talk about Snowden. You know, because he, he I think he intuitively understands that Snowden is very quickly becoming this sort of dashboard saint of precisely the people who turned up for him in the Iowa caucuses and you know gave him the presidency. Right. And 
Um, and he's already this hero among young people. And so Obama, it's so funny. He just checks out whenever he has to say something um, that will get him crosswise with his own base. And that is going to make, you know, I mean, the, the editorials about him being an absent president are, are, are already piling up. And I don't think they're going to end anytime soon. He's got Scott. He's in this terrible place where anytime he tries to put his foot down as president, it means pissing off somebody on his own side because the people on the other side have already given up on him. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, great. <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it really is awesome. It's I, because uh, for one thing, it, they, they've sort of allowed him to do that, to change the subject every time anything bad happens or, or, or things that were, are with, with another president from another party would be constantly drumbeat, the economy, unemployment. This recession, we would be hearing stories about the displaced and the impoverished and the unemployed. It would be a night. I mean, there'd be Pulitzers being given out, like uh, you know, little like Jello shots at the, at the, at, at, in bars for for all of the poverty work this, these these people have been doing. If an, another president were in the White House from another party, this one disappeared. Uh, the idea that a that not just that there was a leak, just that Snowden got got the got the laptops and the info, but that he's now making a tour of our enemies and humiliating our the president. I mean, Putin is 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 Putin just announced that like 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 he's a like he's a travel agent that that uh, Edward Snowden is in the transit area in a Moscow airport. I mean, the, 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 <laughs> you know, it's like I mean, it, it can't help but be. Delicious to those, obviously not me, because I care so deeply about this country and I have my eye on the you know the important stuff. But but I think for for small minds, maybe petty minds, okay, me, um, it's pretty fun to watch this arrogant, pompous, uh, uh, out of touch, um, unreachable president and his starry eyed, idiotic acolytes finally get there or get close to getting their just desserts. Or am I? Too am I celebrating too soon? Well, I mean, it is what it is. What you're describing is clearly something that is happening. The question is whether it will, whether it will be transitory or whether or whether it will deepen. Um, and, How can you know, we deepen it? <laughs> what can I do? What are the well, three things every decent American can do today to make sure that this delicious? Well, there are several things continue. that there are several things that you, Rob, <laughs> as a as a consumer, cannot do, but the world may be doing. For example, uh, there is uh, there is very serious evidence of a slowdown in the Chinese economy. If the Chinese economy slows down, the engine of worldwide growth, as far as we know. Uh, that will in turn slow down American growth uh, and uh, and also uh, make it harder for us to finance our our deficit if uh, if China has to tend to its own garden. Um, we've seen over the last week um, the uh, horrified and panicked response of the financial markets to the notion that Ben Bernanke isn't simply going to be throwing money at them forever at no interest. Um, and handing them cash and saying, "Here, go thou and uh, buy buy more more houses, um, so that we can create another housing bubble." Uh, there's a lot going on that 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 suggests, you know, yet again we're 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 in one of those moments where it looks like the economy is improving, and then it's then the improvement simply stalls out and things start to shrink down again, um, and obviously. In, in terms of in terms of the viability of Obama's second term, 
Um, if he continues to preside over a sluggish to stagnant economy, um, he is, you know, his seventh and eighth years will be nothing short of an agony for him because uh, any effort to lay that at the feet of, you know, Bush, particularly when Obamacare begins its implementation and the economic dislocations that will come as a necessary result of that from businesses, you know, right. simply refusing to hire any more employees to keep their numbers down under 50 and all sorts of other uh, games that will go on that will, you know, that will really, uh, that will really punish him. Now, but it, I think it needs to be said that Obama is not the only, and Democrats are not the only party that is in danger of self-immolation and self-destruction. We are watching uh, in the Republican Party a Donnybrook breaking out um, over immigration reform between the House and the Senate, between uh, immigration reformers uh, in the Senate and people who think that this uh, new immigration reform bill is uh, a nightmare horror uh, surpassing, you know, uh, surpassing John Carter of Mars um, or uh, or Howard the Duck, and, and <laughs> hey, Howard uh, the Duck made money, you know. So you know that I refuse to believe. I refuse to believe Howard refuse, the Duck made money. You refuse all you like. I will not believe <laughs> Howard like, the Duck made money. Do you mean like it as a promotional thing at Burger King? They made like quack bucks or something. It made, made, it money? made It made money. <laughs> it, ultimately, it made money in the end. That is the horrifying. That's I can't. That's uh, that. The, the uh, we're, we're not going to go there. The so anyway. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we have we have a very uh, very interesting situation developing where it appears that it's, it's likely that the immigration bill uh, that will pass the Senate will get seventy votes, and there is no possibility whatsoever of its passing the House. Right. Right. Um, well, one thing we know: six months of labor and work on the Senate side will have been all for completely for yeah, which so, is almost which is almost perfect. Is that that to me is a perfect situation? Um, I would like to work harder. I mean. Uh, one of the people keep saying is like, as you know, Americans are demanding immigration reform. They are demanding it. It's number one priority. They think about it all the time. <laughs> There's zero evidence of that. If anything, Americans just want the wall to be taller or, or they want more border security, although even now the urgency of that has gone down since, since the uh, economic collapse of 2008. Um, I, what, I, what I don't understand is the – are they looking at different polls than I am in the Senate? What, what what is the I, I, no, no, where I are they seeing the urgency for this for this for this immigration urgency. reform? Democrat, Democrats look at this. Democrats look at this as a as a as an extreme positive for for them yeah. for their base for their political future, and you know and uh, ten Republicans look at this and see a lot of uh, fifteen Republicans look at this and see a lot of good for them personally. If you live, you know, well, this is the difference between the House and the Senate, which is, you know, senators represent entire states. Uh, states with uh, states with a high concentration of of, of Hispanic and Latino voters, um, or or with businesses that that use um, uh, the labor of 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 uh, undocumented <laughs> undocumented workers, um, think that it is a good thing and that it will be good for them because they run statewide. And as we know about the composition of the House of Representatives now. There is very little ideological um, uh, fluidity inside uh, a given uh, House district. If it's Republican, it's very Republican. If it's conservative, it's very conservative. There is no pressure inside those districts mm -hmm. for any of the congressmen that represent those districts 
to go in another direction on bills like this. Whereas, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, before racial gerrymandering of the sort that followed the Voting Rights Act of 1991 that allowed the creation of these districts to empower blacks to be to have uh, rep- black representatives um, and, and Latinos to have Latino representatives, now everyone's shoved into these districts and the other dis- there's no ideological heterogeneity that might put pressure on Republicans in the House to support you know, a more liberal immigration reform package. Quite the opposite, I would say. But this one just seems like a big sloppy mess, right? A, a little bit of everything. This one just seems like uh, pre-packaged or, or, or uh, not yet pre-packaged direct mail and attack pieces for uh, midterms. I mean, this seems yeah, like no, it's written perfectly for that. There, there's a lot of that. And also there's, you know, as far as we can tell, there was an entirely new immigration reform bill introduced on Friday. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, this, this, this Oven Corker amendment thing was 1,200 pages long and basically subsumed the previous piece of legislation. And so, you know, if you were having like a, if you had a long checklist of the ways not to do all of this stuff, right, one of the last boxes that could have been checked would have been the pass it to see what's in it approach, right? Right of, of Obamacare of have a completely new piece of legislation that no one's read and vote on that, and that was the last box for 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 checking, and that's the one we got, um, you know, in the last few days. Um, I I thought the you know I I think it's the debate about the whole. I'm you know I'm, I'm kind of soft on immigration compared to a lot of my colleagues at National Review. I'm sort of in a state of equipoise between the Wall Street Journal and the National Review on this stuff. But, you know, even when, you know, even when Bill Crystal is talking about this thing as if it's a monstrosity, um, that's a bad sign for the merits of the thing. <laughs> and um, the, uh, you know, the thing that bothers me is the point that Ramesh has been making. You know, the CBO came out with this report that said, the immigration reform proposal will reduce the deficit and very, 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 very minorly improve GDP over the next 20 years. And Schumer and all these guys and a very compliant press hailed this thing as if it was this silver bullet that proved that immigration reform was worth doing, as if people had been selling this thing as a deficit reduction growth proposal for the last 10 years, right? I mean, it has nothing to do with what the argument has right. been. It's all been about, you know, putting illegal immigration behind us. Anyway, the, the CBO report also said that at best this thing will reduce illegal immigration by 25%, which is not, you know, Chuck Schumer says we're going to make Ill- illegal immigration a thing of the past. And this, the report that Schumer himself is touting says it's only going to reduce it by 25% and it's going to lower wages for the next 20 years. And so, again, I, mean, mm. I, I really want, <laughs> Sign me I want up. to be, I be in favor of it, more immigration, yeah. but. This, this the situation that we're in is you got these guys voting on something with virtually no interest for towards the actual question of what is the national right. interest. It's all about. By the way, I'm I'm, and also I'm that amazed. Good. I'm astonished and amazed by that CBO report because it is so it is such total soothsayer nonsense. Oh, I agree with they that. Don't have the foggiest yeah. idea. Did anybody foresee that an economic slowdown in the last five years? Would 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 end, effectively end illegal immigration, which I it has. I did uh, over this period. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Did. Over whether I, I it's going to have I wrote a positive that, effect on the deficit to, or a negative effect. I wrote it. I sent it to myself. <laughs> I have it right here. I wrote it and I sent it to myself. It's postmarked five years ago. 
<laughs> no, but you're you're absolutely right. But it, it is like reading those disclaimers in those uh, pharmaceutical ads, you know. Uh, you know, the, with, with, uh, you know, all the things that this thing will do, uh, Lunesta will make you. And then they're playing, you know, volleyball on the beach, and everybody's smiling and eating a tuna sandwich. And the kids are looking at dad because he's ch- changed now. Lunesta, whatever Lunesta is, and then uh, you know, uh, Lunesta also has side effects. Side effects include, you know, uh, a frequent bowel movements. You know, be able to control them. Uh, fear of this, fear of that. You know, this whole list of terrible things that could happen to you that basically are are, are totally contradict the benefit of the medicine. At all, right. I mean, it does seem to me like there, there there is a mini business that you could generate in the the side effects, the possible side effects of congressional legislation, just like the FDA requires. Okay, look, the other way of looking at this they is a crime wave. Everybody they, gets what they want if the bill doesn't pass, right? Democrats right. get to vote right. on this to uh, to to beef up their uh, Hispanic base. Uh, Marco Rubio gets to uh, do the same and to claim that he, you know, fought through for a major piece of legislation. Republicans in the House say they stopped an evil uh, bill from becoming law. Everybody has mail. Everybody has issues. Uh, things get a little hard for Rubio for six months, and then it all it all you know goes back to zero uh, in the Republican Party anyway. Because as I recall, last time, as I recall, the man who proposed immigration reform in 2006 and was hammered and was destroyed and was finished ended up getting the nomination for the presidency in 2008. So the notion that it kills you to do this uh, has been disproven. <laughs> Uh, time and again. So well, and uh, in the end, in the end, uh, the, uh, the, the likelihood is that the bill exists. Uh, the six months of this nonsense will uh, only end up uh, being material for everybody else's uh, mail and election promotion on both sides right. of the issue. Was so the now I, I need to ask you guys an important question. One of the most important questions we've ever asked on this podcast, which is, have you seen World War Z? I have not. I so want to see it. We have to figure out how to see it up here in Alaska. I have not seen it. I have not seen it. Do I need to see it? I mean, it's no, zombie but I, teaser, I do right? want to lay out for you guys, if you, it, I'm not, I don't think I'm really blowing um, uh, a plot point, but I need to point out that uh, for reasons that uh, elude me and that I don't quite entirely understand, uh, World War Z is either the most Zionist film ever made or the most anti-Semitic film ever made. And I'm not really sure which because... <laughs> well, if you don't know, out, if you're not sure. One of the major set pieces in the movie comes when uh, Brad Pitt, who is the globetrotting UN rapporteur, who is the only person on the planet who can stop the zombies somehow, uh, is told by a guy, by a CIA agent in North Korea that Israel has figured out how to stop the zombies and he has to go to Israel to stop the zombies. So he goes to Israel to stop the zombies and what Israel has done to stop the zombies is it's built a wall. Sound familiar? It's built a giant wall across and around Jerusalem, very, very high and tall wall that it turns out is very effective in keeping out the zombies. What, what's more, Israel, uh, in, a, in, a, in a gesture of, uh, of uh, is, has opened the gates for Palestinians and everybody to come in because somebody says, 
if they're alive, it's better than if they're zombies, no matter who they are. So this is the high, so two aspects of this. One, Israel secretly has figured out how to stop the zombies, but isn't sharing it with anybody. Right, right. So that's the anti-Semitic part. Then there's the Zionist part where, the great, where Israel, this great country, has figured out uh, through its startup nation genius how to stop the zombies by building the Palestinian wall. Then, and this is the most interesting uh, development, the, uh, as Brad Pitt is wandering around Jerusalem where, all, where everybody is getting together at the Western Wall, Arabs and Israelis alike start singing uh, a prayer in Hebrew, which is called Oseh Shalom Bim Ramav, which is a prayer about peace. And it is something that all Israelis and uh, American Jews sing, and they sing it, and they say, not only do they say Shalom for peace, but they say Salam, which is Arabic for peace. And they're all singing together. And as a result of this singing, as it turns out, singing this peace song, for reasons I won't go into, the singing of the peace song creates exactly the phenomenon of the zombies figuring out how to get over the wall. So it is anti-Semitic, it is could, Zionist, could, could there be more and it spoilers is in, in opposition there. to yeah. songs about peace. Uh, so you don't that have to see the movie now? I just have to, like, have to fast forward to the fifth reel to watch this thing? You've given me the, the first and second acts. The big uh, second act twist. You, you gave it away. No, it's not a twist <laughs> because you know because you've seen it in the trailer. You've seen the the, the song turning the zombies, uh, giving no, them. No, but the, the song turning the zombies is uh, why the song turns the zombies. I'm not telling you. Oh, but you've seen in the trailer all the zombies clambering over the big wall. It is yeah. therefore I have not blown the plot twist. Okay, well, I've read the book, and the book, which as you know, was written by Max Brooks, Mel Brooks's son. Um. <laughs> The Israel treatment is very brief in it. The book is actually a very good book. And um, what they do in the book is the Israelis basically build essentially a giant wall fortification thing. And they they do invite all of the Palestinians who can make it in. But there's a brief civil war where the ultra-Orthodox hate the idea and open fire and start shooting at the... Uh, the regular Israeli army, and that's that's quashed, I believe, pretty quickly. I mean, it's been a few years since I read the book, um, and that's sort of the end of the of the Israel portion of the thing. So I don't know why they. Okay, opt- well, that would be that would be what I would like to call uh, World War J Street. <laughs> uh, so uh, that would be a, a different plot, well, but I'm just saying a- that they're interesting. It, this is not an. This is not. It's. A very weird movie, in my opinion, because it is, on the one hand, it is very scary, and on the other hand, it is, for large swatches, extremely boring. So it's both boring and scary, which is an interesting mix. I don't know what to, what to make well, of that it. Well, that's, that's what a thriller is. That's the whole point of a thriller is to be boring and then there's my and kind of you moment, into the, you know. Which is that there's this giant uh, uh, collection of ships in the Atlantic and you know the 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 uh, the title comes on screen, you know, because one of these places it says, you know, Moscow, Jerusalem, North Korea, you know, like that. You know, one of those things where, you know, the teletype goes right. Oh yeah, the, I love that. And in this case, it says 
United Nations fleet, Atlantic Ocean. I'm like, oh my God, the oh, United no. Nations has a fleet now? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. United so, Nations somebody Black blow Helicopter up the United factory. Nations fleet. <laughs> this is as good an excuse for a zombie takeover of the world as any I've ever heard. Notify the world government. <laughs> But is it a good picture? I mean, it's a zombie picture, right? It's a summer zombie picture. Let's not go overboard here, right? Okay. Is, it, is it scary? It's scary. All right. Uh, it is sc- I have to say it's scary. Well, you know, um, I, um, I have a theory. Uh, my working theory is, you know, that, 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 you know there's no – things don't – things happen for, you know, for a reason. I mean, I'm, I am not licensed to practice psychology in the state of California. But if you look at everything that Hollywood is outputting now that – it's a lot of zombies, like the number one number one movie in the country, the number one TV show, The Walking Dead, uh, the zombies, the zombie pictures and zombie shows, and sort of zombie awareness is sort of everywhere, and it kind of all happened at once, and 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 it's hard to pinpoint why, right? Like what what why that monster is scarier or, or is now in fad here in Hollywood? And here's my theory, right? My theory is that everyone and, – and, and you know Steven Spielberg and George Lucas gave a little talk a couple weeks ago. They talked about the huge changes in show business and Linda Opes got a new book out, which is actually very funny, called um, Sleepless in Hollywood, I think. That is a very good book. I just yeah. finished it. And it's about you know, giant contractions and changes in the, in, the, in the feature film business especially. But everything is changing, right? The whole business is changing, contracting and expanding in some areas and contracting in others. And no one really knows who's going to be dead tomorrow. Um, but there is this sort of inchoate sense in Hollywood that like a lot of us aren't going to be here next year. That a lot of the, a lot of the channels that exist on your dial won't exist if, if it goes to some version of what they call a la carte pricing. If the consumer gets more power, you know all these sort of weird shows that pop up out of nowhere. You know, Storage Wars and Duck Decoy or whatever it is. All those sto- those those shows really only exist because the channels they're on are just kind of free essentially, and they just kind of pop up. But if it's a la carte pricing, that's going to that that, that ec- economy is going to be really really hard to sustain. And Spielberg said something really interesting. He said that his movie Lincoln was within hours before it got the green light from the studio, within hours of being an HBO movie, like like Liberace movie, I guess. So so that's that is definitely where the trend is going. There's going to be this giant contraction. No one knows who anyone you know. If you're a lawyer or you're an accountant or you're an actor or you're a writer or you're an executive, especially, you don't know what's what what what's going to exist in 12 months for you. So. In a way, we are all here kind of worried that we're the walking dead. And some of us here are zombies and don't know it yet. And I think that is why there's so many zombie pictures. Well, that's, that's a, a very really interesting, interesting metaphor. Com- com- really interesting metaphor. I don't buy it one bit. <laughs> um, what do you know? You're in a driveway in Alaska. I've got my finger on the pulse of American media. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, you know, maybe that's part of the why it, why you win in pitch meetings when you pitch zombie stuff. But maybe the fact that zombies are so popular is why you win in pitch meetings with zombie stuff. I think it's something deep in the cultural psyche about post-apocalyptic stuff. Anyway, there's this sort of survivalist thing running through American culture where people think that uh, the existing arrangements are very fragile. And they want to sort of – there's a sort of yearning to get back to sort of more core human things like how to survive and, and what you're going to eat and all that kind of stuff. And the zombie thing is a perfect literary device for getting at that. I bet you 
if The Walking Dead, which I'm a big fan of, did an entire episode where not a single zombie was in it, and it was merely them doing the equivalent of going to the grocery store, of just showing sort of how you survive as a survivalist when there's no anything, it would be hugely popular. I think that there's just a big thing in American culture right now is that sort of... That's why I think hoarding is sort of interesting. I mean, there's a thing out there in the culture about, you know, things are going to go tits up any second and I got to have... I got to take care of me and mine. I think I think it's still post... I guess to care of me and mine with, with two-year-old newspapers stacked... <laughs> <laughs> you never know! You never know! I think it's still post 9-11... Uh, you know, the sense that, uh, you know, what we saw on 9-11 with a, you know, with a couple of nuclear weapons um, was suddenly a really thinkable prospect for a great many people. And the notion that we might find ourselves living in a, you know, in a, in a world dominated by, uh, you know, which in which uh, much of our civilization was destroyed and in which we were overtaken uh, by an evil force we could not understand became thinkable. This is a metaphorical application of that idea, and it was only given ballast, social ballast, even though it bears no relation to it, you know, by the fact that between 2007 and the end of 2009, people's, you know, the average American net worth went down 35%. So, you had this, you know, external threat and then this internal economic collapse happening at once. Maybe, but all, you, but it, these it are all created. Uh, these zombies are all contagion, right? The, the 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 popular zombie pictures are all about contagion, not about a foreign agent. It's about the call is coming from inside the house. It's all right. Uh, you know, I got I you know meningitis outbreak or this outbreak or I mean the best zombie picture I've seen in a long time, which people didn't like, which I love because I love this kind of. I love all contagion stories. I'm obsessed with them. It was uh, Contagion. Um well, the Contagion Steven Soderbergh was movie. Great. Yeah, but people it didn't really work, but it didn't really work in the box office, but it was incre- I mean it wasn't really about the breakdown of society. It was about how it holds together like it's eerily not not eerily normal, but oh, this is what would happen in America if there was a giant outbreak and a third of the country died. Yeah, Contagion it, was a bizarrely pro-government, pro-bureaucrat, pro establishment movie i mean and yeah it wasn't built was that the way but... cdc saves lives and the and the and the interesting the villain is this is a blogger know, blogger yeah this julian assange like blogger who convinces everybody to use a ridiculous holistic medicine for scythia because right? he has a for, financial for interest in the medicine in the uh, in the pill being sold um so yeah contagion's a very good movie and very much much worth seeing I thought Man of Steel wasn't was was watchable uh, myself, and I had no interest in seeing it. But I went, and I thought it was okay. You, either of you guys? Hey, John, how many movies do you see a week? Like one. Hmm, so I saw of... Man of Steel. I saw World <laughs> War Z. Well, what do you? This is your business. I know. Here you are saying, "Oh I wasn't, no, we're the I wasn't, uh, I wasn't criticizing. criticizing. I just wanted Go to know. Support I just was your like... own businessman. <laughs> Go buy a ticket. For God's sake." <laughs> It'll eventually come on TV. I'll eventually see it on my phone. That's You'll what I see think. it on your phone, like yeah. Mad Men. The season. The, anybody watched the season finale of Mad Men? I did. Uh, I I downloaded it. I haven't watched it yet. 
Um, okay, you know what? This is a bad pop culture podcast. No, I saw it. I saw it. Number one I box office movie last week. You haven't seen the number one box office movie this week. You haven't seen the big season finale of the most garlanded show of the last five years. Like, you, what are you guys? Right, let me doing? ask you something. I, I, hey, I saw Man of Steel. I saw it. Oh, I saw okay. It. Did you like it? I went to the movies by myself on Father's Day. That's my present on Father's Day. Is that I get to go to the movies by myself without my child and see a movie that I want to see. And I saw I saw Man of Steel. And I, I, I'm sort of with you. I thought it was okay. Um, I think Superman is a bad superhero. But I couldn't decide whether He's a terrible was... superhero. There's nothing wrong with him. Yeah, no, that's he a problem. He can't be hurt. He's, He's at odds perfect. with modernity. Yeah. I couldn't decide whether it was anti-Semitic or, or, or pro-Israel. It's actually very well, Christian. I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the answer is I would say vaguely anti-Semitic. Here's why. Because, of course, as we know, Superman, the creation of two Jewish teenagers from Cleveland, yeah. um, is turned into a Christ figure in Man of Steel. And as we know, uh, that's not very Jewish. Well, yeah, the the, it's, it, the the story starts Jewish and then becomes un-Jewish at the very end. Um, yeah, I you guess you're right. You don't have to be Jewish to love Superman. That's, <laughs> that's, that's true. all I have to say. I did see Mad Men, um, the, 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 the season finale, and I, I, I enjoyed it. It was the one episode this year that I thought was really good. What I thought was strange about it, and I was going to ask if anyone else has this reaction, in, in, in Hollywood, in the, in the TV business uh, – it's now time for Emmy nomination ballots to be sent in. And so, uh, you know, you want go to the Holly, De- Deadline Hollywood blog or Variety or anything, and a lot of ads for, you know, for your consideration. And everybody's getting, you get the, um, the DVDs come, and, you know, everybody sends you the, the you, HBO sends you a box with every HBO, everything that year. Um, and, and you watch them and stuff. On the, on the broadcast on AMC of Mad Men, they are including little ads that are for your consideration. That's well, that's because, that's because you and the 12 people in Hollywood who vote for the Emmys are the only people who watch Mad Men. That's true. That's what I was say. It's like, that's how Nobody in America yeah. watches Mad Men. There's a na- nation of Fort 325 Girls. million people. More people watch Rachel Maddow than watch right. Mad Men. That's right. That's I just want to point that out. More right. people watch Rachel Maddow than Mad Men, and Matt, Matt Wiener got $30 million or something to make the last two seasons of the show. So you explain that to me. <laughs> well, there's no real explanation. It would have been cheaper to give a million dollars to every viewer. But, exactly. Yes. And with that, I think we need to come to the end of this uh, very interesting political and really, really lousy pop culture uh, <laughs> edition <laughs> of Glop Culture the Ricochet podcast with me, John Podhoritz, Rob Long, the TV producer who doesn't buy a movie ticket, and Jonah Goldberg, who <laughs> never got a dinner driveway in Fairbanks, Alaska. <laughs> exactly. It's a very distinguished crew. Uh, anybody have any appearances? Because I don't. Uh, no, nah, not really. Hey, Jonah, how long are you in Alaska? Until uh, Friday. Okay. It really is a beautiful place in the summertime. I mean, I, I went... We went right water rafting on the Denali, in Denali and uh, um, going out to the lake tomorrow today. And you know, it's 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 a fascinating place. Alaska is very different from the rest of America. More different, I would say, even than Hawaii is from America, from normal and America. Rob, when is when is Sullivan and Son uh, premiering? 
Well, uh, thank you, uh, John. It premiered two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> well, this is the third episode of the third episode is on is on uh, <laughs> Thursday night, Thursday night at ten p.m., nine p.m. Central. It will be our first real sort of night where we're unencumbered. Our first night we premiered uh, opposite Game Four of the NBA Finals, and then um, our second night we 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 aired against Game Seven. Um, uh, so those were popular basketball games that kind of took the wind out of our sails with certain male demographics, but we did okay. We held our own, and this is uh, I think this week will be pretty good. And then then it's the Fourth of July where we air a rerun, and then we'll be back in back in um, a steady steady uh, stream of f- uh, five episodes before we call it quits for the uh, season. Fabulous! And uh, please, everybody uh, on uh, uh, on July first, please download your July August issue of Commentary, one of the best we've ever published www.commentarymagazine.com uh, Subscribe, uh, go to the Apple Store and uh, subscribe to the really magnificent iPad version. Um, it's, uh, it's a very proud uh, issue for me uh, and it features, uh, it features my, my tribute to my sister Rachel who passed away two weeks ago at the age of 62. Also uh, 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 a piece accessible at commentarymagazine.com and uh, in it's her a, memory. It's a lovely piece. It is a lovely piece, John. It's a, Thank it's you very really much. And in her memory, scene. I really hope you'll, you'll read it because she was a remarkable person and she's gone too soon. So thank you very much for listening and we will be back again with hopefully better pop culture and worse politics <laughs> next time. I'll be prepared. Great. Thanks. It's a time of the season When love runs high In this time, give it to me easy And let me try with pleasure at hand To take you in the sun To promise land To show you Join the conversation. What's your name? What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He is a rich like me. As you take off any time to show you what you need to live. Tell it to me slowly. Seriously, we're, we're, we're both adults here, right? So, after all the shit had done, after all the complaining and the crying and all the fing bull, is this all there is? <laughs> <laughs>